How can you achieve and maintain business growth? Harvard Business School Executive Education is now accepting applications for a new program, Driving Profitable Growth. Taking place in Boston from October 25th through the 28th, this program focuses on business expansion and organizational growth strategies that can lead your company into the future. Learn more about this three-day program for senior leaders by visiting hbs.me growth. That's hbs.me growth. Hi, it's David Locke, host of Locked On NBA. On Locked On NBA, we will touch on the biggest stories in the NBA from the local angle with our hosts on the Locked On Podcast Network. The Locked On Podcast Network has a podcast for your favorite team every single day. And today, we'll check on those big stories of the NBA from the local experts. Chris Manning, Locked On Cavaliers, joins us to talk about Kyrie Irving. Lucas Han of Locked On Clippers about Doc Rivers losing his GM title. And then we'll stop in and talk with Anthony Irwin of Locked On Lakers about Lonzo Ball, about LeBron James, and whether they'd rather have Russell Westbrook and Paul George a year from now. It's all coming up on today's edition of Locked On NBA. You are locked on the NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Today's Locked On NBA, stopping by on Cleveland, the Clippers, and the Lakers is brought to you by SeatGeek, as well as Casper Mattresses. SeatGeek with the promo code Locked gets you $20 rebate on your first purchase. That's the promo code LOCKED. $20 back after your first purchase. And stop by Casper.com slash LOCKED to get, and use the promo code LOCKED to get your special value as well. Now, let's head over to Cleveland. Stop number one on the Locked on NBA. Biggest stories from the local experts. There's never an off-season in Cleveland, so that's our first stop. Locked on Cavaliers host Chris Manning joins us. And, and Chris, what new are you learning each day about Kyrie, LeBron, and what's going on here? You're right. You're right in saying that there is no off-season in Cleveland because it just feels like every day we're, we're getting some new tidbit of information. Um, I mean, right this week we have a report coming out saying LeBron – is, is going to leave. He's already decided that. You have reports shooting that down. And, and with Kyrie, you have um, kind of a narrowing of what the team's looking for and just sort of what how teams are viewing him. Right now, you see the Cavs are very much pursuing a life post-LeBron in case he leaves. So they're looking at Jason Tatum. They're looking at Porzingis. They're looking at that caliber of player. And then you have a team like the Spurs that it would say, yes, we would re- we want to get you. We, and but the Kyrie said, I'll resign there. But you have this question right now is, does the Cavs as the best trading partner actually – match what is best for Kyrie. Like if he wants to go to San Antonio and he would resign there, that's a great fit for him. I, I think he'd be really good under Pavich and with Kawhi. The Spurs don't have a package that I think really interests the Cavs. I like Jonte Murray. He's not the type of prospect you can build around post LeBron. You know, like that, that's sort of where I right now. I think it's still it's sort of a slow build with all of this. There's still a lot to be said and lots to be done with both LeBron's future and Kyrie's. Um, but we're going to learn little bits of new information like this every week, I think, until something happens. All right. If there's post-LeBron life in a year, why would you possibly trade Kyrie? I think part of it is I think they won't say this publicly because it would hurt them leverage-wise, but I think part of it is I think that relationship could be just maybe they think it's unrepairable. That's kind of what I'm thinking just because I think Kyrie, more so than just he wants to get out of LeBron's shadow, is someone who wants to go through, wants to get away from the Cavs because they've been so dysfunctional. I think for the Cavs, 
they want to maybe have someone who's under contract for longer than two years because like Kyrie with with a lot with how the contracts work now with Max Deals, Kyrie would really have to be a All NBA player a couple times like to qualify for that Supermax that he would be eligible for with the Cavs. Just based on how things have worked out in voting the last couple of years and the other guys at the point guard spot, it just seems unlikely that he, that's a guarantee that he's going to get that, and then the Cavs would have leverage to offer him the Mac, the super max contract that he would have a very hard time turning down. I think what they're looking at is Kyrie maybe is going to leave anyway. They want someone on a rookie deal who they control for a long time, and that isn't going to tether them to any sort of expectations. Um, it's not perfect. Like I think Kyrie has been their their plan post LeBron for a long time. That has been their their plan, and I think they're just trying to adjust right now. And I, and I think you're right. Like maybe they should just try to keep him and make it work. But at the same time, you, you risk losing him in two years and having nothing once again. And I don't, I don't think they're willing to do that. I think is, is kind of what I'm reading off of this. Does Kyrie want to be traded because he wants out from the shadow of LeBron as was originally reported or because he wants out of Cleveland? It's, it's both. I think the LeBron thing is really like, I, I, I say this all the time on Lockdown Cavs. I tweet this all the time, and I tell people this all the time. He's a disciple of Kobe more so than he is ever be a star. He wants to be that guy. He wants to, to have um, that type of reputation and being his own man and being his own man in that Kobe way. At the same time, I also think he's probably just a little bit frustrated and kind of done with the Cavs organization. They, even when he was a rookie, if you think about this, had a really good rookie year. Um, was proved worthy of being the number one pick. And what do they do in the next draft to, su- to supplement him? They take another ball-dominant guard who he ended up not getting along with in Deion Waiters when his AAU teammate and someone that he's very good friends with, Harrison Barnes, was also on the board at, at the same time. They didn't take that guy who might have fit Kyrie better. And I think stuff like that is out of the over time. And you get to the summer, David Griffin was one of the few people in, in that organization that really could go to Kyrie and talk to him and deal with him when he was in some of the moods he would get into. It was someone that really connected with Kyrie. When you got rid of him and you got rid of the guy who LeBron supported as well and who was really a stabilizing voice in the organization, I think it said a lot to Kyrie, and I think all the things add up to him wanting out. Is Kyrie a winner? I think so. I think like he has things about his game that are not perfect. I think like he could look to create for others more. I think he could have better shot selection. But I think you have someone there who wants to win at the highest level, who is ultra competitive, who wants to be great. I think he is a winner. I think that's a guy who, who we've seen him perform at the, in the most the most tense moments that you can have in the NBA in game seven in an opposing arena, shooting over the two time MVP. Like you have a guy who can do that. I think there are things for sure he needs to work out and needs to get better at for him to be the best he can, but I don't think there's a, there's a question that he's a winner. If LeBron is leaving in a year, can the Cavaliers trade him? Um, I would say no, just because, like, A, he can veto any trade, and B, like, that, that just sends a really, really insane message to your fan base. Um, I, I just think, like, if you if you were going to get, like, a Uber deal back and he's, like, telling you, like, yeah, trade me, like, I want to leave, like, maybe you have to do it. And you, but then also he's controlling what you're getting back. So I, I just don't know if if you really. I don't think you can. I don't think you could sell it. I don't think you would actually get a good return. Because let's let's just say he just said he tells the Cavs tomorrow he wants to go to the Lakers. Which I just want to say too. Also, it's it's hard for me to believe that he's decided already because that Lakers team. We just don't know what they're actually going to be. We don't know what Paul George is going to do. There are all these variables to this that I don't think have been figured out yet. If he said, I want to go to the Lakers, well, if the Cavs are going to trade LeBron, even if he's going to be free agent next summer, 
they're asking for a lot back because he's LeBron James and they should be asking for a lot back. So are you, are you asking for Ingram? Are you asking for Alonzo? Like, what are you asking for? And are the Lakers actually going to sell everything for someone that they want to get next summer? And when any other team who probably thinks LeBron's going to leave, if he even were to accept the deal, might leave next summer too. I, I don't think he's tradable. I think he's, he may be, he may be the most untradable player in the NBA. Do you view the Cavaliers as the favorite in the Eastern Conference? Yes, but I think the gap is smaller, and it's still there's an asterisk there because we don't know what they're going to do with Kyrie. Um, I think if they bring everybody back, even with the Asian and not really having improved, I, I would say in a lot of ways, Derrick Rose doesn't help you that much. Jose Calderon doesn't help you that much. Jeff Green doesn't help you that much. I still think they're better than Boston. I think. They can still trap Isaiah. I think they're still going to have a be a they're very well equipped to deal with Al Horford. Hayward certainly is going to provide some problems, but I think they're still going to be the favorites in the East right now. And if things change, it depends on when they bring back. They got Bledsoe and Dudley and Josh Jackson, let's say, from the Phoenix Suns. I think that would I could make them deeper in some ways and better in some ways, even if you lose that Kyrie punch. And I think as long as you have LeBron. And what we know about how this team is going to perform in the playoffs, now he's going to perform in the playoffs, I, I think they're still the favorites. Chris Manning, Locked on Cavaliers. Great work. Keep up the work. You can catch his podcast at Locked on Cavaliers. And I'm sure we'll be talking to you about it again on Locked on NBA. Thank you, David. Don't you love it when somebody blows up an industry and changes how everything is being done? Frankly, that's what we hope to do with Locked On Podcast Network in a lot of ways, giving you this local coverage. It's exactly what Casper Mattress did in its industry. It has given customers who have been forced to pay high markups a new answer. Casper is revolutionizing the mattress industry by cutting the cost of dealing with resellers, showrooms, and passing that saving directly onto you. It's a sleep brand that created an outrageously comfortable mattress sold directly to customers, eliminating all those inflated prices. And it gets even better because if you go to casper.com slash locked, you get $50 off on your purchase. That's casper.com slash locked and use the promo code locked. Why Casper? Well, how about a hundred night free trial? No hassle return if you're not happy. How about free shipping in the U.S. and Canada? How about obsessively engineered mattress at a shockingly fair price? And the product design features a marriage between foam layers for ideal firmness and just the right sink and the right bounce. That's what makes it so comfortable. That's why over 20,000 reviews and an average of 4.8 stars for Casper. Designed and developed and assembled in the United States of America, Casper Mattress, revolutionizing the mattress world and giving you great comfort, super shockingly fair pricing, and an absolutely fabulous night's sleep. Casper.com slash locked and then enter in the promo code locked to get $50 off your purchase. From Cleveland, we move to Locked On Clippers and Lucas Han, the host of Locked On Clippers. It's all been off-season Doc Rivers, reestablishment of the front office stuff this year. How much do you, do you think this is progress? Do you think this is the first domino and we have future dominoes to fall and we will look back at this that way? What's your feeling on where the Clippers front office stands right now, Lucas? I think this has been a work in progress for the last couple of years. You know, Doc Rivers, I, I think Doc Rivers has always liked being able to make decisions. And that's why when he came to the Clippers, he basically asked for this dual role. He wanted to be able to control who was on his roster. And I think maybe that was something that was more important with Donald Sterling as the owner than with Steve Ballmer as the owner. But 
you can understand why any coach would want to have that kind of control over who's going to be on their roster, who's going to get traded away, who's going to get signed. But what he's found is that, you know, being an NBA general manager, or in his case, president of basketball ops, is a difficult job with a lot of responsibilities. And so we've seen him defer over the years. And last year he took a big step, gave a, you know, two years ago it was Kevin Eastman, longtime assistant who he moved from the assistant coach role into the front office to help him handle some day-to-day stuff. Last summer, Kevin Eastman left the team. He pushed Lawrence Frank up into an even bigger role handling day-to-day stuff. And so I don't think it's necessarily much of a surprise that now Lawrence Frank is taking that next step further. I just have a hard time believing when you get into, you know, real decision time. When you When you're sitting there the morning of the NBA trade deadline and you pick up the phone and someone has an offer. I just have a hard time seeing that it's Lawrence and not doc saying yes or no. I still think doc's going to be the guy, but I do think that in a sense, doc taking a step back from the day to day front office responsibilities um, has been a long time coming, especially now that they've got the whole D league team to oversee as well. Do you think doc rivers is the head coach in two years? Yes. That's interesting. It feels to me... A hesitant... I take him over the field. How about that? Yeah, it just feels to me as though this is the beginning of the separation. Um, and the rumors get bigger every year. But then again, he's still there today. So it, it's, it's... Well, you know what? I think, I think we're at a crossroads. Because we're, we're sort of in a transition period for the Clippers. We're transitioning between two eras of Clipper basketball. You know, post Chris Paul, obviously, this is a big transition for the franchise. And if there's a sort of total collapse, if if this new group doesn't work out, then we could we could definitely see him gone. He's not he's far from from safe or entrenched. But I also think that entering a new era gives him a little bit of a break. Compared to if Chris Paul was back, the pressure would be dialed up a notch more this coming season than it was last season. With Chris Paul gone, it's almost like the pressure's turned down a little bit. We still have high expectations for the Clippers, but they can win less games than they did last year, and no one would even blink. So I think it gives him a little bit of a break to try to kind of build this team again. And the fact, like you said, that he's still here today, this is the crossroads he made it past the crossroad. They could have parted ways with him and said, we're going to give the reins to someone else to coach this new team. They didn't. And that says to me that they're going to give him more than, you know, a one year shot at kind of building this thing up again. The Kevin Pelton projections came out at 49 wins for the Clippers. Did that surprise you? And if so, in which way? Well, I've been saying between 46 and 48, and so it doesn't really surprise me. Obviously, it's a little bit higher than what I've been saying, but, you know, those projections are always kind of, you see the Warriors are obviously much lower than you'd expect, and the worst teams are much better than you'd expect. So, you know, I I would say that that's probably just about right. I think that the Clippers have the potential to reach into the 50s, if they stay healthy, if the unit clicks together, if everything goes right, I think they have the potential 
to drop potentially into the low 40s and miss the playoffs if they really struggle getting guys healthy or if basically just this unit doesn't mesh together like the front office envisioned when they signed all these guys. But I do think that, you know, I've been saying between 46 and 48, 49 is just about right for me. I love to look at teams and say to myself, what are they going to rank offensively and what are they going to rank defensively? So last year the Clippers were the fourth best offense and the 13th best defense in the NBA. What are they this year? You know, that's that's actually really, really a hard one. And I've thought about this before because, you know, believe it or not, you're not the first person to ask me that question. But it, it's difficult for me just because there are so many guys on this team that we have never seen play together. And so with the, you know, with the Clippers of past, you plug in different guys around Chris Paul, Blake Griffin, DeAndre Jordan. You add a new second unit. You can say, well, our defense is going to be a little better or a little worse than last year. This year, it's it's really hard to project because, you know, you make that downgrade from, say, Chris Paul to Patrick Beverly offensively, which is a huge, huge downgrade. But then you upgrade from Luke Mbamute, who was maybe the worst offensive small forward, starting small forward in the league last year, to Danilo Gallinari, who's one of the most efficient players in basketball. Defensively, Chris Paul and Luke Mbamute were both big helps. But J.J. Redick was a minus defensively last season. Austin Rivers is a plus defender. Patrick Beverly picks up basically right where Chris Paul left off. So, you know, I think the team is probably going to be worse on offense this year and maybe a little worse on defense. But I still expect them to probably be, I guess I would say, in like the 5 to 10 range on offense, maybe like an an 8 on offense and right about where they were on defense in that 12 to 15 range. But that's really, really hard to say without having seen how these guys mesh together. And especially um, Milos Teodosic, who they signed from – he was with Moscow last season. We really don't know at all how he's going to translate to the NBA on either end. We know he's not a strong defender, but we don't really know is he going to be okay but not very good defensively or is he going to be a total sieve. And depending on how big he is in the Clippers rotation, he may even end up starting at shooting guard for them. That's going to sway things a lot. It's interesting. I actually think they're going to be about – and I and I agree with you completely that we don't really know. But I actually think they're going to be about average in both. Um, and one of the things that jumps out to me is how bad that second unit is going to be defensively. And maybe that's why uh, Tedosic starts. But – when you suddenly have Tadosic and Lou Williams on the floor together, and DeAndre next Jordan to Sam Tom, Decker, right? Yeah, next to Sam, like or Wesley Johnson, I don't think is a particularly good defense player. And it's interesting because that's what I'm actually saying is that their last year's Charlotte Hornets or last year's Indiana Pacers, those two teams were right about average in both last year. And I, I you know, I might be yeah, totally I... wrong, but Charlotte, by the way, was 36 and 42. They should have been better. Indiana was 42 and 40. I, I might be totally wrong, but that's. And, and I kind of agree with your point. Like, I don't know the answer to the question. That's why I asked it. But if when I asked the question, I thought to myself, if I was answering this, I think, or, you know, or are they Milwaukee, who was 13th offensively and 19th defensively? For all the talk of Milwaukee's great length and all those things, that was not a good defensive team last year. I think systematically Jason Kidd's system is flawed. But that was another 42-40 and 40 team. So um, it makes me think that 49th by Pelton is a pretty big jump to where I expect them to be. Yeah, I, I'm not sure about them being like 15 and 15, but I think 
they they could be you know 10 and 12 12 and 12 kind of in those categories um but but it'll be like i said it'll be really interesting to see how these guys mesh together there's a lot of changes from last year's team it's really an interesting team and by the way worth noting on these offenses more important than defense uh on all of those <laughs> if you're three and 22 offense and 22nd in defense you're better than if you're 22nd offensively and third defensively very That's true very pleasure talking to you lucas keep up the great work at locked on clippers thanks for the time absolutely david thank you Today's show was brought to you by our friends at SeatGeek. And with the promo code LOCKED, you get $20 off. Why SeatGeek? Why do I use SeatGeek? I use SeatGeek because it's revolutionized. Same concept here, ticket buying. Why do we like it so much? One, it's an app on your phone, so it's easy to use. Two, you go and don't have to search. I used to have to go to my ticket guy, and I'd search to a bunch of different people. Or I'd always wonder if I was getting the good deal. Now I know what deal I'm getting because SeatGeek puts it right there for me. Whether it's a local show, whether I want to go see Hamilton somewhere, whether I might go travel to see you too. Those are the things I often use it possibly to go travel to events or if I know I'm going to be in a city for an event that's upcoming or something locally, a concert, theater, I use SeatGeek. And so you just get the app, download it, then go to the settings tab, enter in the promo code LOCKED. Now when you find your first event you want to go to, you get the $20 back. But also, you'll see that you get a ticket score. It tells you which deals are the best. And finally, it's secure and guaranteed on your phone with no problems at all. So you're getting a secure ticket purchase. You know you're getting the best price available. And you're getting the ticket score from SeatGeek so you know you got the best purchase imaginable go to get the download right now go to your app store go to your google play store go to your itunes store and download the SeatGeek app and then go to the settings tab and enter in the promo code locked and our final stop around the nba here on locked on nba takes us to locked on lakers anthony irwin one of the two hosts harrison fagan may or may not exist we don't know if that's true but anthony irwin will join us today on the program here on locked on nba and and anthony the lakers just seem to be kind of bubbling around with news whether it's Crazy, outlandish talks of the playoffs or LeBron coming in a year. The vibe has to be very different in Lakerland ever since Magic Johnson took over. Absolutely. Uh, the, the, the amount of optimism surrounding the Lakers is at high as, it's, as high as it's ever been in five years or so, I would say. And then, look, part of this is, is it's new, right? Jim Buss, Mitch Kupchak are out the door. Whether you know you want to give them credit for the titles that they won together in the Pau Gasol and Kobe Bryant years, or you don't, uh, the change is and, and the change being stirred by the icon that is my, Magic Johnson. That change has really ignited some a new passion within Los Angeles for the Lakers, and then that's before getting to the possibility of LeBron or or the you know pretty successful off season that they've had. So. It's a it's a completely different vibe around here, and and frankly, it's, it's pretty exciting, even if it is pretty unrealistic with some of these points. What is the reaction when James Worthy says that Lonzo Ball reminds him of Magic Johnson? I mean, for me, because I'm I'm pretty grounded when it comes to my Lakers analysis. For me, it was kind of an eye roll, <laughs> you know, like, gosh, you're putting a lot of pressure on this kid. You know, there's a lot of it, – it's already going to be tough because of the bullseye that's on his back because of LeVar Ball. But then on top of that, you're going to add to it the expectations that come with, you know, comparing him to the greatest point guard in the history of basketball. 
Uh, that's and I mean, unless you know you're you're a Utah guy, so maybe you have an argument for John Stockton. But but for for out here in Los Angeles, it's inarguable that Magic is is not only arguably the the greatest basketball player ever, but he's definitely the the best point guard ever. And now you have this point guard stepping in with that already on his shoulders. It's pretty insane uh, that that they're willing to go there with him. What do you think is realistic for Lonzo Ball in year one? I think the, the biggest thing with him is how he changes the playing style around him. He, he gets the ball in and out of his hands faster than I've really ever seen a rookie do it. And because of that, it makes people play unselfishly almost to a fault. Like there were some moments in summer league where you saw guys trying to make passes that they should not be trying to make, but it's because they saw the reaction that the crowd had to Lonzo's passes. So like in terms of counting stats, maybe 12 to 13 points a game, uh, maybe seven and a half assists a game, maybe three or four rebounds a game. He's probably going to turn the ball over about five or six times a game. But the biggest thing is what effect does he have on the unselfishness, unselfishness around him? And, and if he can, if he can legitimately affect the way guys like Ingram, guys like Julius Randle, guys like even Kentavious Caldwell Pope, who, who will be there, you know, probably only for one year. But if he affects the way those guys look at the game of basketball, then that's how I'll, that's how I'll say this kid was really successful and he really could be something special. The talk of the Lakers playoffs. Crazy? Yes. <laughs> yes. They, they, they have, they have inarguably improved, right? They, they're starting five right now of Lonzo Ball, KCP, Brandon Ingram, Julius Randle, and, and Brooke Lopez. That's the best starting five from top to bottom that they've had in about five years or so. It just so happens, though, that they're playing in maybe one of the toughest conferences that the NBA has ever seen. Every, from the, the, the top four teams in the conference uh, are super teams. It just so happens, though, that the team at the very, very top of this conference is like a super duper team, and the Lakers are, are staring at that night in, night out. They're going to have to go against these guys, and it's going to be a struggle when you're when you're the guy who is going to have the ball the most is a rookie. There's just there's no way I could see the Lakers making the playoffs this year. Lakers to the LeBron, or LeBron to the Lakers, crazy? Not as crazy as the playoffs, if that if that makes sense. That like honestly. The last thing anybody should ever do with LeBron is think that they know what's next with them. And because of that, it's, you know, it makes no sense to say that it's impossible that LeBron winds up anywhere else because look, it seemed impossible that he would leave Cleveland the first time around. It seemed impossible that he would go back after that letter that David Griffin uh, or that, that uh, Dan Gilbert wrote on his way out the first time. It seemed impossible that he would leave Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosch in Miami. Um, but he keeps on doing these things, and he keeps on 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 throwing the league kind of on its head with these decisions. So, like if if somebody told me, uh, "Am I willing to say it's impossible that LeBron goes to the Lakers?" I, I'd never go that far because nobody ever knows what possible uh, the what possibility even starts with with this guy. Let me throw you a scenario here, okay? And Laker fans will just like this will make them so excited. But Russell hasn't signed that deal yet. So if you had your choice 
of Russell Westbrook, Paul George, and LeBron, and you could take two in for the 2018-19 season, what two are you taking long-term for the Lakers? Long-term, when you add that bit of long-term, it, it kind of leans away from LeBron in theory because eventually this guy's going to start slowing down. He's played more minutes than just about anybody. Like He's at that stage where the minutes, you really start looking at, at them and you say, okay, yeah, this guy, he has so much tread on his tires. And because of the amount of weight that all of the teams that he's ever played for is put on his shoulders, eventually he's going to start wearing down. But it's really hard to say, you know what, I don't want LeBron. You know, and, and the same thing can kind of be said about Russell Westbrook. So to answer the question, I would probably take LeBron and Paul George. Uh, Russell Westbrook scares me a little bit because of the way he plays and because of how he relies on athleticism to be so much better, you know, to be so much more imposing than all the other point guards in the league. That I, I'm concerned that once he loses a step, if he loses that imposing nature, he won't be the same guy. So I think I'd rather the two to in theory, can maybe slide down a position and play the four in the twilight of their careers. And and that gives you a little bit longer-term flexibility moving forward. And you also happen to have LeBron, who is either one or two, by most people's standards, is the best player that have ever played the game. Your guess on Lakers' starting lineup in a year from today? A year from today. So I think Julius Randle won't finish the Laker or won't finish the, the season as a Laker. I think he gets moved somewhere because for whatever reason, the Lakers really think they have a legitimate shot at LeBron uh, and they're trying to clear the books as, as best they can. So either the Lakers have both LeBron and Paul George with Lonzo Ball and Brennan Ingram and whoever their five would be in the scenario, say Vita Zubac, because they won't have many other options given how much money we'll have to dedicate to both LeBron and Paul George, or they have the same, they'll ring, they'll bring back whatever they have this year. Um, and maybe slide in Larry Nash Jr. for Julius Randle, who they're trying to trade. Um, but, but it's kind of an all or nothing thing because of the way Magic Johnson and Rob Polinka, uh, think in terms of what the Lakers should be doing in, uh, in building a team moving forward. He is Anthony Irwin. The show is locked on Lakers. Make sure you grab it and subscribe. They do fabulous work. That Harrison guy is pretty good, too, but don't tell him we said that. This has been (laughs) another edition of Locked on NBA. The biggest stories from the local experts covering it like nobody else does. The Locked on Podcast Network. Your team every day.